So thankful for each and every one of you. I know some of you are here by invitation today, and so thanks for accepting uh, that invitation. And I want to begin this morning uh, with a story. It's a story I've shared before. But uh, when our youngest daughter, Madison, who's seven now, so about four years ago when she was three, um, we had a room that she would stay in by herself. And oftentimes she would get up and just wander the house. And sometimes we were afraid because she was old enough. It's like, man, she's going to unlock the door and she's going to be walking down the neighborhood if we're not careful. And so we decided we needed to put a barrier in place. So we got a baby gate, something like this that would keep her in her room. And so at night she would get up and she would come to the edge of the gate and she would start yelling, mom, dad, mom, dad. And oftentimes she didn't need anything. She just wanted to walk the house. And so we get up, peek out our door and be like, Madison, go back to sleep. And then one night she realized her tactics weren't working like they once did. And so she changed her tune a little bit. And she came to the edge of the gate knowing that there were three other siblings in the house as well, not just two parents. And she goes, somebody, somebody, somebody. I imagine that there is somebody here today that if you were being honest, you would say that it feels like there's a barrier between you and God. Now, you would probably say you believed in God for a long time, but when it comes to fully giving your life over to him, when it comes from taking a step beyond simple belief to belonging to God, that there's been a barrier. There's been obstacles that you can't seem to get past. Maybe for you, it was because you were on the other side of an unkind Christian at some point in your life. And you had no context of what Christians were supposed to be like or how they were supposed to behave, if you will. But how you were treated on the other side of that particular Christian made you question all of it. Maybe your story is that you were a part at some point in life of an unhealthy church, and those do exist. And when you were a part of that unhealthy church, maybe something happened. Maybe you made a mistake, or maybe somebody in your family made a mistake, and you owned up to that mistake, and you fully expected to have a conversation with that church about that mistake, but what you didn't expect was that condemnation. And that chastising. And so maybe somebody in your family, it could have been a parent, it could have been your mom or dad that said, you know what? When it comes to church, we're done. We're done. Maybe you, it's for you, your barrier, barrier is entirely different. Maybe for you, it's listening to the voice that often is coming from this culture that says, you don't need faith in God. You're smart. You can figure this out. Just follow your heart, follow your feelings. Potentially, you're here today and you have to admit that you bought that lie along the way, at least to some extent. And what's interesting is when you get into God's word, it instructs us to do the exact opposite. He tells us not to listen to our heart or our feelings. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus actually says it this way, for it is from within, it is out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils actually come from inside and defile a person. In other words, Jesus is saying our heart isn't trustworthy. And how many of us have actually already lived enough life to have learned that the hard way? Yeah. See, truth is, there are a lot of different kinds of barriers that come in between us and the life that God so desperately wants for us. That's why as a church, we have determined that our greatest motivation here, and you've heard us say this before, that our greatest motivation 
is to remove obstacles or barriers, do everything we can to remove those obstacles or barriers, and then increase opportunities to get you to Jesus. Because it's only going to be in the presence of Jesus will you actually figure out that the life that God wants for you is what is truly life. He calls it, it's the, tr- the one true life. And so maybe today is your opportunity. Like maybe you were invited here and by no means did you expect to come in here and anything drastically, you know, change, change for you or, or anything drastic that was going to take place that would cause you to make a huge life decision. But what if that's actually what God wants for you today? What if today was the day that you gave God the opportunity or you gave yourself the opportunity to take a step beyond just believing in God, but actually fully surrendering your life to God? What if today is that day? Would you be open to that? Would you be willing to accept that? Maybe the biggest barrier is you. Maybe you would have to admit that you just give yourself too much credit. I love how C.S. Lewis speaks into this. He says, prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. But the proud, the greedy, self-righteous, they are in that danger. And for some of us, that might be true, right? Some of us may have to admit today that we, we think too highly of ourselves. We're overconfident and we think we can figure this out on our own. We'd have to acknowledge that maybe we've been living that way. But for others, it's the exact opposite. Because for others, it's actually your shame that's keeping you from taking one more step closer to God. It's something from your past. Something in your rearview mirror. And there have been some times, and I feel like I'm speaking to somebody's situation today, so please listen to me. Sometimes you have found yourself maybe getting a little bit closer to God. It could be in a service like this. It could be a song you heard on the radio, but like something started to move inside of you and you found yourself starting to take a couple steps closer to God only to hear a voice that sounds something like you, but I would say it's Satan's influence in all of our lives being able to whisper to us to remind us, hey, don't forget who you are. Like you might as well, like that, let that be the last step you take in God's direction because remember what you did. Remember what you've done. Remember that one season of life where you just kind of said no to all this faith stuff and you, man, you were wild. One of the trickiest things about Satan's influence in our life is when he whispers those things to us as we're trying to inch closer to God, it sounds like it, it sounds like us. It sounds like our voice. And so we are, it's as if we're convincing ourselves that, man, there's only so far that I can go with this because of what I've done. Take it from a guy who traveled down that road many times. Don't let your past failures become the barrier that limits what God wants to do with your future. I'm a living testimony of this guy. Don't let your past failures limit what God wants to do in your future. Somebody needs to hear what I'm about to say. You are not what you did. You are not what you are doing now. But you will become more of that the longer that you do it. Like, let me be clear about something. The Bible explicitly talks about the sin in our life. And when we subject ourselves to sin over and over again, how that does become the barrier between us and God, between us and the life that God so desperately wants for us. And on our own, when that sin separates us from God, there is nothing that we can do 
There is nothing that we can do to actually fix that separation. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says it this way, for all have sinned and fall short. Everybody say fall short. All of us have. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And on our own, we can never fix that separation. On our own, we cannot remove that barrier. It doesn't matter how much we serve, how much we give, how much we love others. It doesn't matter, matter how many dogs you rescue or Girl Scout cookies that you buy. There's nothing that we can do to fix that separation. There's nothing that we can do ourselves to remove that barrier. At some point, all of humanity has to realize that they need somebody, somebody to remove this for them. And praise be to God because he actually had a plan for that. In 2 Corinthians 5, for God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is our saving grace. He is perfect in every way. He loves you more than you could ever know and more than I could ever adequately describe to you. And he says that if you put your faith and trust in him, he will remove that barrier. And not only will he remove it, but he'll remove it forever. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Can I get an amen this morning? He didn't come to help the self-righteous or the super religious to feel better about themselves. He came for people like me and you. He came for the broken. Sometimes he referred to them as the sick. He came for people that are lost and have been led astray by the ways of this world. He came for us. And he said that if we'll put our faith and trust in him, not in ourselves, not in money, not even in a church, but if we'll put our faith and trust in him, that he can remove this barrier forever, that we can be forgiven, that our ledger can be wiped clean. But on our own, without him, then we will be left to wander in the dark. We will be left to navigate this world with no other person to look to than ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I've gone down that. I've chased that path long enough in my life to know that I can't trust this heart. I can't trust this heart. So can I ask you a question today? Would you like to receive God's forgiveness? Listen, I know we're all out there trying to figure out and learn how to live our best lives. Let's be honest. We're all trying to figure out how to live our best lives. But God says your best life is on the other side of this barrier. God says your best life is on the other side of allowing Jesus to come and remove this barrier for you. And I would say it this way. I believe the best parts of you are on the other side of dying to the parts of you that are trying to live a life without Christ. And I say it again, I believe the best parts of you, the best, the best parts of you are on the other side of you dying to the parts of you 
that are trying to live this life without Jesus. Let me show you how Jesus himself says it. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. What is faith? Faith so often is letting go of what you had planned, including today. Faith is often letting go of what you had planned and letting God guide you into a better future. And listen, he has good plans for you. I promise. He has good plans. And that faith journey begins by asking for God's forgiveness. And you just need to know this. When you start to truly understand the forgiveness that God is talking about, when you truly start like, getting it at a gut level and embracing it, then you'll start to see that forgiveness is a powerful force to be reckoned with. It is a powerful force to be reckoned with. And for all of us that have been either on the giving end or the receiving end of radical forgiveness, we know just how freeing that it can be. I want to show you how John Tyson speaks into, or actually, let me jump back. Um, and share this verse from Matthew chapter 6, because Jesus makes it clear that forgiveness cannot be a one-way road in our faith. That's why he says it this strongly. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, Jesus doesn't want us to simply receive his grace and forgiveness. He also wants us to demonstrate it. But how could we ever demonstrate it if we've never fully accepted it or received it ourselves? Now, let me show you what John Tyson says on the subject. He says, nothing drives the presence of God away like unforgiveness. If you harbor unforgiveness, you will repel the anointing of God from your life. The church is called to be a community of grace. It's supposed to be a part of our operating system. But when you fall short of that grace, you fail to live in that grace. And you're left with human dynamics. And the result of that will be trouble, relational trouble. And I love this next statement. It's worth writing down. You will thrive in the kingdom of God to the degree that you lean into forgiveness as an operating system in your life. The meta narrative that you live in, the story in which your redemption takes place, is a giant story of forgiveness. And so if you refuse to learn the art of forgiveness or be a person who grows in forgiveness, you are not going to play your role in that story very well. Several months back, there was a video going around on social media of a baseball game where this kid get, gets hit pretty hard uh, by a pitcher. I think it's like a Little League World, World Series or something like that. And everybody's concerned about this young man, as they should be, because he got hit really hard. You'll see it again in slow motion in just a second. And fortunately, he was fine. He gets up, you know, shakes it off and makes his way uh, to first base. I'll let it go again in slow-mo here just so you can see. It's, uh, it was a scary moment. Drills him right in the side where his temple is. And so he's making his way to first base and kind of shaking it off. And then ultimately he sees that the pitcher is having a really hard time with what just happened. And so he stops in the middle of the game and comes over to the pitcher who's, who's crying, physically crying because he was so scared that he hurt this young man really badly. And he comes over and he consoles him and he says, hey, man, it's, good. it's OK, really. It's going to be OK. I'm, I'm good. It's all forgiven. I know you didn't do it on purpose. And the first time that I saw that video, it brought me to tears, truly. And it wasn't because that I knew the players, and it wasn't because I think baseball is painful to watch. 
I only watch sports. So, oh, that's too far away. Oh, oh sorry. Bring, should have stopped there. One step too many. One step too many. The reason it brought me to tears is because I know what it's like to be the person that hurts somebody else. I know what it's like to be the person that hurts somebody else. And when I received their forgiveness, how powerful that was in my own personal life. When you understand and you begin to get forgiveness, the radical forgiveness, beginning with your heavenly father's forgiveness, you'll start to see just how powerful of a concept it can actually be. Not too long ago, there was a young mom in our city who had made some mistakes in her life, and they finally caught up with her. She was detained on multiple warrants, and on her day of court, she finds herself sitting on the other side of the assistant DA. And he's going through her charges and typing everything up, and she knows that on the other side of him completing his task and whatever it is he's doing, that she's going to receive her consequences. And she doesn't know if that's going to be time in jail and away from her kids. And as you can imagine, she's just very distraught. And all of a sudden, for a reason that she doesn't know, the DA, the assistant DA stops, sets the computer aside, and he looks at her. And he says, I'm dropping all your charges today. All of them. And you're free to go. But before you do, and he pulls out a trace invitation card. Before you do, would you consider coming and checking out my church? Because it's made such a big difference in my life. And maybe it can make a big difference in your life. So overwhelmed by his radical forgiveness, she actually takes him up on that invitation and shows up here on the following Sunday. And she would tell you she immediately starts to feel God's power and presence in her life. She starts to lean towards this amazing grace. She started getting on her boyfriend and telling him like, you got to come check this place out. But he was an atheist. He's like, no, 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 I'm not interested. Not interested. He's like, you need to come to this church. And so he finally said, yes, showed up here one Sunday. And on the very first Sunday that he showed up, he came forward and grabbed a towel and received God's grace and forgiveness. And a few weeks later, they were both baptized. And she would tell you she's learning that God has good plans for her life so much better than the path that she was going down. Maybe that could be your story today. Maybe that could be yours. Several years ago, I was on uh, kind of a hiking expedition down in the edge of the Grand Canyon. And it wasn't the Grand Canyon. It's actually owned by an Indian village called Havasupai, a beautiful place, beautiful waterfalls, and I was down there with some friends of mine and we're hiking and uh, the canyon walls are pretty narrow where this river goes through and it's got beautiful emerald green water because of the travertine and the rock. And we were walking down through the river and a monsoon comes and it, I mean, it is just dumping, dumping, dumping rain. And we can tell that the river is starting to rise. So it's like, hey, we better turn around and start making our way up to where we know there's safe ground. And as we're making our way up there, and again, there's this water dumping over the sides of the canyon walls. And so it's rising really fast. And somebody from the Indian village comes down and starts yelling at us. You guys need to get out of here now. There's a flash flood coming. And if you don't get out of here, this thing's going to kill you. And so we started speeding up a little bit. And we got up to the edge of where 
We were going to have to cross the river so that we could get up to safe ground. And the river's already moving. It's already flooded at this point. And so we started locking arms with each other. At this time, we're with other hikers that we didn't even know. And so we're locking arms and we're just making our way really slowly across this river. And the girl on my right arm is inebriated. I should probably say that. And the river finally washes her feet out from underneath her because she's not working hard enough to keep her stance. And she starts to go down river. And what you need to know is about 100 yards down river is a 200 foot waterfall that she is likely going to die if she gets to. So I immediately break from the chain and I jump and I grab her arm and then I get my footing and I'm just holding on for dear life. And my friend Matt, who's already made it to shore, sees what's happening. He jumps up, grabs a bunch of branches to the, on this tree by the river and makes his own chain so that he can come out to me. And now he's got my hand. And as I look up and I'm looking at Matt, I notice that there is a 500 pound log coming down the river, barreling towards us. It's been washed loose. Now, some people have suggested that every time I tell this story, that log gets bigger. It's not true. It's not true. So anyway, the 700 pound log is coming down the river. <laughs> My grandma always said, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? I mean, come on. No, she never said that. It's horrible advice, by the way. Anyway, the 800-pound log is coming down the river, and I'm, I've been yelling at her the whole time, don't let go, don't let go. I mean, this was a, probably one of the most intense situations I've ever been a part of in my life. And I'm telling her not to let go, but then I realize, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to pull you up, and when I pull you, you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let go of me so that you can grab onto Matt. And so at the, seriously, at the very last second, I grab her, I pull her with everything that I can, let go of her. She lets go of me. She grabs Matt. He pulls her out of the way. And in the last second, I jump out of this 1,000-pound log coming down the river. <laughs> it was a big log. It was a big log. Why do I tell you that story? For some of you today, in order for you to take hold of the life that God so desperately wants for you, you're going to have to let some things go. Maybe for you, you need to let go of your past. Something that you once did. You are not a past mistake. You are not what you've done. You're not what you're doing now. But if you're not careful, you will become more of that. Unless you invite God to come into your life and go from belief to belonging to his family. Learn from your past, yes. Leave it in the past. For some of you, you might need to let go of your own plans. Because oftentimes the plans that we have for our lives do get in the way of the life that God so desperately wants for each of us. Or maybe for you, you need to let go of your pride. You think you can do this life without God? You've got this thing figured out without faith? I pray that God would humble you today. God would humble you and that you would understand that Yes, even you need to receive God's saving grace and forgiveness. But here is where God's grace gets radical. His invitation to you today, his invitation to you today is that you don't have to go fix anything first. You don't have to go figure some things out before you can be forgiven. You don't have to go clear your own ledger. He says that you can come today 
just as you are. And if you would just take a step from belief to surrendering your life to him, acknowledging that Jesus came to set you free from sin and death, to remove this barrier, that you don't have to fix anything, you don't have to figure anything out first, that he will forgive you by simply saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I give you my life today. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a broken, beat up, bruised up guy like me. You see, many, oh, let me jump back. I'm jumping all over the place here. I want to show you how Paul defines this moment in Romans chapter five. He says it this way. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, you know what that means? When you had nothing to offer God. When you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still lying and stealing and cheating and deceiving and demonstrating your rebellion against whatever it was that God didn't want you to do. He doesn't wait for you to clear your own ledger. He comes in and says, no, I'm going to demonstrate my love and I'm going to die for you when you least deserve it. If you really want to try to get a concept, it's so hard to, but if you want to get a grasp of how great the Father's love is for you, I want you to think back to the time in your life where you least deserved it, least deserved it. If I'm being honest with you today, I don't want to admit mine. Christ said, right there, right then, that's when I died for you. That's when I demonstrated my love for you. When you had the very smallest amount, the least amount of life, and how you've lived your life to deserve that kind of love. You see, many people are mistaken when they think that three nails actually held Jesus to this cross. Three nails did not hold Jesus to that cross. I mean, come on. Satan couldn't trick him. Water couldn't sink him. Sin couldn't stop him. And death couldn't hold him. So you better believe three nails weren't keeping him on that cross. No, what kept him on that cross was his love for you and me. That's what kept him on that cross. Let me close with this. Most of us know the story of how these two criminals were crucified on either side of him. And one of them had the guts while he was being crucified beside Jesus to insult Jesus, believe it or not. But the other one decided to defend Jesus. And at some point before he died, he said, Jesus, would you remember me? Would you remember me? And this is what messes with a lot of people's theology. This thief, this guy, who's asking Jesus to remember him, He'd never been to church. He'd never gone through confirmation. He'd never taken communion. He never gave a dime. He never spoke in tongues. He never said the sinner's prayer. And he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain. He didn't heal his body. Yet Jesus said, today you will walk with me in paradise. Oh, how great the Father's love. that He would consider us children of God. This guy didn't have anything to offer Jesus other than his belief. He was just a naked man dying on a cross who recognized the Son of God.
when you realize that you two are naked before God, fully exposed for all your faults, for all your failures, and that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to remove this barrier separating you from God. But if you will simply recognize the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, that you too can be forgiven and walk into paradise with Jesus one day. That's why it's called Amazing Grace. I'm going to say a prayer for us right now. If you'll do me a favor and just bow your heads for me. And I'm going to ask some of you to be bold today and make a bold declaration. If you're here and you know that the Holy Spirit is kind of stirring inside of you right now, you feel like God is moving inside of you right now, and you've never received God's grace and forgiveness or asked for it, but you're ready to do that today, would you just raise your hand? I just would love to see those who are making that decision. Just raise your hand. Be bold. Bold declaration. I see. God, I pray that in this moment, that for those that need to follow through on what you're asking them to do, that you give them courage, that hopefully today through what I've shared, that some excuses and barriers have been removed. Maybe some clarity has come to the table where they are understanding potentially for the first time in their life that they don't have to go fix stuff before they invite you to come into their life. That they really can come just as they are. And once Jesus comes into their life, then they can together start to look at things that maybe they need to change. God, I pray that you would continue to show us and encourage us what it looks like to live in your amazing grace from day to day, what it means to be a community of grace and forgiveness, that it really is an operating system for us and in this church, and that it's not a one-way street. It's not just something we ask for. It's something we also demonstrate. So God, I pray that in this moment that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully in and through this room and that you would wreck people in all the right ways, causing them to completely let down their guard to allow you to remove that barrier and enter into some new spaces in their spiritual lives. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.